You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia from the studios of Dull 3CR in Melbourne. Yes, it is overcast, not because of the COVID-19 little hiccup Melbourne is currently experiencing, or Victoria is currently experiencing, but because it is dull outside, there is no sun. So, as you know, the Anarchist World This Week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network broadcasts across Australia, north and south, east and west, up and down, and it is broadcast across the world. No, it can't be across. It's around the world. That's right. It's not flat. It's round. I'm not a member of the Flat Earth Society. It's 3cr.org.au. It's streaming live as I speak. Now, just in case nature calls, and I understand there are many listeners to the program who get a little bit sick and start vomiting halfway through the program in case you need to go to the loo, and it may be an outside loo because we have listeners in the middle of nowhere, don't despair. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Am I trying to be humorous? Well, in the depths of despair, you need to be humorous. That's what black humour is about. A lot of people don't understand the role of black humour in a dictatorship, in a concentration camp. It's the way people cope with an extraordinary situation. Now, anarchy, no, it, it is black humour, but the black flag of anarchy. But what is anarchy? Very simple. Anarchos without rulers. A society without rulers. Oh, Oh, no overlords, no rulers, no religious figures. It'll be chaos, rape, murder, robbery. I can see it now. Concentration camps. That's what happens when we have a state, isn't it? Not when we have an anarchist society. Anarchism is about creating a society without rulers. What gives people like our current Belarusian dictator or the Myanmar military or the United States president or the Israeli president, what gives them extraordinary powers? What gives corporations extraordinary powers? It's inequalities in power and wealth. That's right. It's inequalities in power and wealth. 
So what's the anarchist struggle? The anarchist struggle is to devolve power, which is a fancy word for share power, and you can do it through direct democratic processes where you make a decision, elect or appoint a delegate to carry out those decisions at a regional, national, international level, and to a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. Like our resources, you know, they're owned by a number of a small number of corporations who make extraordinary profits while over 700,000 children live in poverty in the land of milk and honey, you know, Australia. So that's what anarchy is all about. It's about the struggle to share power, share wealth. So if you're involved in that struggle, I've got some bad news for you. Your neighbours are not going to look funny. They're going to look at you and they're going to say, that person is an anarchist. So wear the label with pride. Now let's start off with sensational reporting. It's very interesting about the media. Now, we need to understand how the media works in this country. I mean, it's not a dictatorship in terms of the state owning the media, but in many regards it's worse. We have a number of corporations which dominate the media scene. And sensational reporting is about getting eyeballs on your media network, whether it's social media, whether it's legacy media, you know, the old-fashioned newspapers, whether it's radio, whether it's television, whether it's the stuff you pay for on television. It's about getting eyeballs on that particular site because the more eyeballs you have, the more advertising you sell, the more advertising you sell, the greater the return to the shareholders. So how do you get eyeballs on a site? We all heard about clickbait. Well, the media, the corporate-owned media, has been involved in clickbaiting from the very beginning. Sensational reporting is part and parcel of the way a privately-owned media works. Unfortunately, the same disease is now part and parcel, the same virus is now part and parcel of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation because the Australian Broadcasting Corporation now is very focused on ratings. It's very focused on supplying its main presenters with short-term contracts, which means if they they don't follow the company line, they can find themselves not having their contracts renewed. And we see this over and over again in many situations. So sensationalism is part and parcel. Now, the COVID-19 was the example that was being used at the vaccination program in the last few days. Look, obviously there are side effects to every type of medication, every type of vaccine, every type of operation. There's a problem every time you cross a road. There's a problem every time you're skylarking on your phone and you're walking down the street and you trip over and fall down and hit your head and become a quadriplegic. But life is about risk. And when you see the media magnify risk in order to get eyeballs on their particular media site, that's when you have sensational reporting. The Haymarket Martyrs in 1886 
were executed and then exonerated a few years later because of sensational reporting. Remember a few years ago here in Melbourne, which I'm familiar with, Mr Dutton, yes, Mr Dutton said that Melbourne people were afraid to go to restaurants because of the African problem. Where's the African problem today, hey? How about all that sensational reporting which allowed the Howard government to win re-election when the Tampa was refused permission to land its human cargo on this country? How about the sensational reporting around Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders and sensational reporting which occurs when somebody pushes somebody over in a demonstration of 100,000 people? You know, it just goes on and on. So sensationalism, as far as reporting is concerned, is part and parcel of the business uh, plan of any corporation which is involved in media. So don't get surprised. I'll give you another example. Two days ago, three days, I think it was on the weekend, on the weekend, a few days ago, there was an election in New South Wales, an upper seat election in the Hunter region. And the National Party, which held the seat, won the seat, and the Labor Party vote dropped. Now, the Hunter region is a coal mining uh, region, and if you listen to the corporate-owned media, and to a lesser degree the uh, government-gilded Australian Broadcasting Corporation, it was done and dusted for the ALP as far as the last election was concerned. It was finished. This was the sign that the ALP should, you know, revert back to its coal support for the fuel, the fossil fuel industry. All right? Done and dusted. If they don't change their policies as far as climate change is concerned, as far as the climate emergency is concerned, they're not going to be re-elected. Now, I remember a few months ago there was an election in West Australia where the Liberal Party was reduced to two members. Two members in the lower house. Two. One, two. The only good thing about it is there's a gender equality. There was one male, one female. But... You know, electoral destabilisation has begun. Everybody knows there needs to be a federal election by May next year. So what you'll see the corporate-owned media do, and to a lesser extent the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, concerned about being in the spotlight of the neoliberal thugs who continue to target the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, what we will see is electoral destabilisation programs, programs which are about creating fear in the community. If some, if a mild, mildly reformist government like the ALP, I mean, mildly reformist opposition like the ALP, wins power. Electoral destabilisation. This is what it's about. It's about maintaining the status quo it's about ensuring that that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication continues to dominate the scene. It's about frightening people who believe to a significant degree what they hear and see because that's all you hear and see. If I put you in a room and I told you that I was God and I told you this 24 hours a day, seven days a week... Maybe 1% would believe I'm God. But when you're, uh, when, you're, uh, put, you're in a, when you're put in a room and you hear the same message over and over and over again, it becomes 
reality, whether it's got something to do with reality or not. So be careful. Sensational reporting, electoral destabilisation go hand in hand. And over the next 12 months, we will see all the old uh, acorns come to fruition. We will see, as far as electoral destabilisation, we'll see Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders being demonised, dehumanised, marginalised. We'll see refugees and asylum seekers become a football, you know, kicked around for electoral gain. We'll see the climate emergency debate turn into a debate about whether we just should continue as business as usual or we should um, not we shouldn't change the track and that the major parties should reverse any policies they have regarding climate change. We will see minorities within this country being targeted in order to create fear in the community. And this next federal election will be based on fear. And the major party which can create the most fear, and obviously the government of the day has the uh, lever on that, uh, has their hands on that particular lever, will most likely be re elected. Remember, I spoke about the yellow peril, the Chinese invasion, the fear of the other. And that's what it's about it's about fear. And while we continue to believe the propaganda, the sensational reporting, we continue to listen to the half-truths, we will find ourselves in the same situation after the next federal election. Because the thing we need not to fear is the concept of fear. We live in a relatively stable community. There aren't armed guards on every corner shooting people, as we see in Myanmar. We live in a relatively stable society. We can make changes. We don't need to be influenced by the fear mongers. But unfortunately, maybe point naught 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 one percent of the Australian population listens to the Anarchist World this week or some other show that's got a little bit of a uh, more of a radical tinge than the normal, you know, uh, Humpty Do and Humpty Dump analysis we see or hear, unfortunately, the media is dominated, is dominated by that small section of society that owns the means of communication. If you think social media is the great liberator, it's not. It is not a great liberator. Social media has never been a great liberator. It may help you sell something. It may teach you how to change a gearbox But as far as liberating us as human beings, all it does, it gives us the illusion that by clicking a button or looking at a site that we can make a difference. We cannot make a difference unless we become involved. Simple. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Now, how do you neutralise pesky journalists? How do you neutralise pesky journalists? Journalists. Now, there are six ways of neutralising pesky journalists, and it depends on the type of situation you find yourself in if you're a pesky, journal, pesky journalist. Now, you can liquefy them, as the House of Saudi did with its uh, critic, Khashoggi. That's right. Lure him into the embassy, murder him, 
dismembering, sending a path, you know, sending a pathologists, you know, sending pathologists, dismember him, liquefying, make him disappear. That's how the feudal monarchs, which we support in the, from the House of Saudi on the Arabian Peninsula, deal with pesky journalists, people who ask questions. Now, how do you deal with a pesky journalist if you're a dictator? Well, you hijack a plane, as we've seen the last few days. When we see this 26-year-old uh, activist who was uh, a leading light in the resistance in Belarusia, a dictatorship, we've seen the plane he was taking from Athens to Lithuania hijacked by the Belarusian government. So how do you neutralise a pesky journalist if you're a dictatorship? You hijack the plane. So poor old Mr Protovetskovich now finds himself in prison and most likely will never be released until there's a revolution in Belarusia because he was a pesky journalist. How do you neutralise a pesky journalist in the West? Well, you persecute and jail them. And the classical example is Mr Assange, who's rocking away in a London prison, persecuted for over a decade, jailed, facing deportation to uh, the US of A, lifetime in prison, pesky journalist. But the, what you do is you say, they're not a journalist. He's not a journalist, although he's won many journalists' awards. He's not a journalist. In the West, don't think that neutralising pesky journalists is just something that happens in a feudal monarchy or in a secular dictatorship like in Belarusia. It happens in the West. You persecute and jail pesky journalists. And if you live in Israel, how do you neutralise pesky journalists? in Gaza during the uh, dispute which uh, ended with a ceasefire a few days ago between Ga the Gaza government. They're not Gaza. It's not Hamas limit militants. I'm sick of people talking about Hamas limited militants. They are the government of Gaza. The legally elected government of Gaza is Hamas. We may not, people may not like it in the West, but the legally elected government of, of Gaza is Hamas. So when the legally elected government of Hamas and Israel were involved in the conflict, how did the Israeli government deal with pesky journalists in Gaza? It gave them a one-hour notice that their headquarters were going to be bombed to smithereens. So you can bomb them. Now, how do you neutralise pesky journalists in wars. Well, in the good old days, <laughs> not that they ever existed in Vietnam, there were many independent journalists who took many risks to bring to light what was happening in, Ka in Cambodia and Laos and Vietnam, the indiscriminate bombing, the napalming, the murder. These were independent journalists who were able to sway the opinions of the people involved in that war. But today, when you look at the Iraq conflict, when you look at the Afghanistan conflict, the way you neutralise pesky journalists is that you embed them in the armed forces. You make them part and parcel 
of, say, a platoon or a group or an SAS battalion. So we've seen Australian journalists go into the Iraqi war as part of the military machine. And when you talk to the people around you that you're embedded with, obviously you're influenced by that. And it's that influence that neutralises the pesky journalist's ability to provide independent analysis of what's happening then. And how do you neutralise pesky journalists in Australia? Well, we don't liquefy them yet, and we don't hijack the planes they're on, and we don't persecute and jail them, although a lot of people would say that that's wrong. When you look at what's what happened, what's happening in uh, in Australia regarding those pesky journalists who uh, brought to light the issues of crimes in Afghanistan and what happened in East Timor, they're facing court. They haven't been jailed yet, but they are facing court and they've been persecuted for uh, years. So how do you, and we don't bomb them, we may jail them in the future, but not yet. So how do you neutralise them, especially on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, which is the organisation which theoretically represents the range of opinion which is heard in the Australian community. Well, you neutralise them by offering them short-term contracts. There's nothing better than offering a journalist a short-term contract for a year or two or three, and that contract is reassessed every few years because if they drift away from the sheet in front of them you can always not rehire them so people are looking behind their backs and thinking should I follow up this story shouldn't I follow up this story will those the bureaucrats above me allow me to follow up this story does it mean that if I embarrass the Australian Broadcasting Corporation by raising this story, that my short-term contract will not be renewed? So there are many ways to neutralise pesky journalists. Hopefully, we are not going to go down that pathway in this country because we are going down that pathway in this country because legislation has been passed in the last few years which makes it much more difficult for pesky journalists to receive information from whistleblowers, which is usually the normal way that a journalist can break a story like what was happening in Afghanistan with Australia's uh, SAS so we're seeing legislation come into place which is criminalising that type of association. Not only is it criminalising that type of association, what it is doing, it is criminalising the reporter as well as criminalising the person who passes on that information illegally. And it's no exaggeration to say that we have moved a long, long way to that situation, um, to that situation... Uh, where we see pesky journalists being tried and jailed. Yep. So if you think it's different in Australia, it isn't. But the problem is that most journalists are not pesky. Most journalists follow the script. They're not pesky. They don't ask questions. They're there to entertain. They're there to you know, collect their salary at the end of the day. They don't have the staff in many of the uh, corporate-owned media outlets to do any 
investigative reporting. And if they had the staff to do investigative reporting, well, they're not encouraged to do investigative reporting. As I said at the beginning of the program, journalism, corporate journalism, is about eyeballs. And if you get eyeballs on your site by making the most outrageous claims which you cannot justify by creating fear in the community, as we've seen with the COVID-19 vaccination program, unnecessary fear in the community, well then, it means that your shareholders are happy because advertisers are willing to pay a little bit extra to be part of that sensational reporting. And when you have the state, through legislation, passing legislation, which uh, ensures that 1% of journalists who are pesky can be harassed, persecuted, investigated, charged for exposing the truth, well then, you find yourself in the situation we find ourselves today. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Now, this program is streaming live from 3CR, the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, one of the most radical radio stations in this country. Now, I've been broadcasting on this uh, station for almost 45 years. Not that I've had any impact, but I have been broadcasting for almost 45 years, and I'm allowed to broadcast because, basically, we haven't been able to break through into the community. If we had, I can assure you that this program wouldn't be on air Now, Community Radio 3CR runs on the smell of an oily rag. That's right, the smell of an oily rag. I mean, if you knew what the budget was to run this station 365 days a year, 366 days in a leap year, 24 hours a day, you'd cry. You would cry. It's actually less than Twiggy would earn in about 30 minutes. That's right, less. Now... This station has a radio fund every year which raises a lot of the money which is used to run Community Radio 3CR. Now, why can Community Radio 3CR allow programs like the Anarchist World this week to be broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network? It's very simple. The station doesn't rely on advertisers. doesn't rely on advertisers. doesn't rely on advertisers. It doesn't rely on government grants. Obviously, there are some grants which go to the uh, to the station in terms of its broadcasting of uh, non-English language programs, but it doesn't rely on government grants. It relies on listener subscribers, which is people who support the station, who take out a listener sponsorship, but it also relies on money which is raised during a yearly radio fund. And because of the COVID-19 shutdown last year, there was no radio fund, and obviously the amount of money that came to the station was greatly reduced. This year, hopefully, we are having a radio fund. Well, we are having a radio fund. And during my program on the 16th of June, from 10... Well, on the 16th of June, my program on the 16th of June, I'll be asking you to donate money to Community Radio 3CR, irrespective of where you live in Australia, because if you're listening to the Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network, on your local community radio station, or you're listening to this podcast at your leisure at a later date, at 3cr.org.au, Anarchist World this week, you are part of this 
community. And in order for this radio station to continue to function, we need people to donate. Next week, I will uh, explain how you can donate, but you can donate right now if you wish. Uh, but the important thing is, now believe it or not, you can receive a legal, legitimate tax deduction for donating to the 3CR Radio Fund before the 30th of June this year. Now, if you've got a tax liability, like Kerry Packer used to say, minimise your tax legally by donating to Community Radio for CR, courtesy of the Anarchist World this week. Because independence, as far as broadcasting is concerned, independence as far as a newspaper is concerned, independence as far as social media is concerned, independence as far as you know, um, television is concerned, in, is based on two things. One, no government control. Two, no corporate control. And Community Radio 3CR is one of the few organisations in this country, in Australia, that does not rely on the government and does not rely on corporations or advertising to function and to bring ideas, campaigns, activities to the community. It plays an essential role in continuing to allow radical thought, which is based on decentralisation, sharing of power and wealth, to be broadcast. Unlike the garbage, and I'll call it garbage, most of it garbage that you see in the corporate-owned media, and the so-called balanced analysis you see or hear or read you know, or sit in the Australian Broadcasting Corporation where balanced analysis means having the ALP and the Liberal National Party debate each other and anybody else is basically left to rot. So I feel very confident the listeners to the Anarchist World this week will be able to donate $15,000. That's right, $15,000 to the Radiophone to keep 3CR on air. I've been here for 40, almost 45 years, never been paid a cent, never been told what to say. I can walk in, do the program, walk out. Uh, there are very talented people who work at this station to keep it going, like there are very talented people in the community radio network to keep it going. And because community radio plays a significant role in this country. Now, just in case you are listening to this program and uh, you live in Melbourne, a few things. Um, unfortunately, because of the COVID-19 restrictions which have come in place in the last day or so, the Bayside Reconciliation Ceremony, which was to be held on the 29th of um, May, has been cancelled. Usually a few hundred people turn up. It's been cancelled. We will still be giving out prizes to the uh, winners, but it'll be a private ceremony, but we will put those photographs on the um, the public housing... Sorry, on the Ellen Jose Memorial Foundation um, Facebook page because the Ellen Jose Memorial Foundation provides prizes for students from nought to, you know, from uh, prep right up to grade 12 across the Bayside Municipality uh, for Reconciliation Week for a um, project we've been now funding for a few years. And the project is Reconciliation Through Their Eyes, where we are attempting to bring the concept of re reconciliation to uh, the uh, children of this country. Because as my late wife and partner, Ellen Jose, used to say, 
She'd given a, she'd given up on adults, but she felt that if you wanted reconciliation, if you wanted justice, justice between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians, it needed to be. We needed to concentrate on the children. That's what the reconciliation awards are about in the Bayside region. Now, I'm hoping that uh, maybe in the future we'll be able to have reconciliation awards uh, in other municipalities. Again, it depends on how much money we are able to raise, but that's a story for another day. Also, we will be continuing our public housing, everybody's business vigils on the big steps of the Victorian Parliament House. Uh, Under current COVID-19 restrictions, we can have up to 30 people. Obviously, we don't get that, but uh, that will continue depending on restrictions on that particular day. But the next public housing, everybody's business uh, um, vigil will be held in the steps of the Victorian Parliament House on Thursday, May the... What is it? I've forgotten. All right. This Thursday. This Thursday. Okay. It's uh, this Thursday Uh, from midday to 1pm. And after that, we'll be... uh, wandering down to La Porquetas to uh, farewell one of our uh, important members of our radical community, Lars, who's going back to Europe to look after his mum. So those two functions are still occurring. I mean, and also we are still going ahead with the Marbo Day celebrations in Federation Square on Thursday the 3rd of June from midday to 1pm. It will be restricted to 30 participants, but if the COVID-19 uh, bubble explodes we may have to cancel so listen to the program next week for more up to date information or go to my Facebook page Joseph Toscano or the Anarchist Institute page or public interest before corporate interests let's move on let's move on how to derail a war crimes investigation now you may not be aware if you've been living in a cave or if you've been listening to the corporate-owned media, or if you've been, you know, been on social media, you may not be aware that a number of Australian soldiers in the SAS division, the special squads, are under a war crimes investigation which has now spanned almost six years. And it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. And we're talking about the Afghan debacle that Australia was involved in for over 20 years. That's right, for over 20 years, almost 20 years. Now, after a prolonged investigation which lasted over four years, the government was forced to call an inquiry. Yes. So what is going to happen in the next 48 hours? Well, the Australian embassy in Afghan is going to close down. That's right, because obviously everybody knows that the current government will be swept aside by the Taliban in the next year or two. So the Australian Embassy is closing down. Total capitulation, total waste of time, 20 years wasted, Australian lives wasted, Australian lives destroyed, many uh, servicemen and women continuing to bear the scars of that uh, campaign, not Isora's gone province. So what does that mean for the war crimes investigations? What it basically means is that that investigation will, to a large degree, be conducted from Australia. We won't see Australian 
investigators going to Afghanistan to take statements from the victims. So I expect now that the Australian Embassy will be closing down in in, uh, Kabul in the next 48 hours, I expect that those soldiers who are under a cloud, and it's not their officers, it's usually the soldiers, let's not forget that. It's not the generals, it's always the soldiers. It's not the politicians, it's always the soldiers, all right? It's always their fault. I mean, they're the ones who are kicked out and said, it's your fault, not those higher up, you know. They just get another medal, turn up another Anzac parade, but that's a different story. So, great way to neutralise an investigation which could be embarrassing for the government of the day. Ah, uh, well, keep listening. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. Burying the truth. It's amazing how you can bury the truth. A young woman alleges she was raped in a senior minister's office in Parliament House. And nobody knew anything about it. Nobody knew anything. Sergeant Schultz would have been proud of the Prime Minister and Mr Dutton, the rest of the senior ministers in the Liberal Party. Obviously, it occurred just before, a few months before the last federal election, and it would have been destabilising, unpleasant for that type of uh, allegation to be aired in the media. And obviously, the the corporate-owned media wasn't very keen to look at it, especially if the senior ministers denied the allegation. So how do you bury the truth if you're a government and you find yourself in a particularly difficult situation? How do you take people's eyes off the issue? It's very simple. You set up a number of competing investigations. And that's what Mr Morrison did, or has done. He has set up a number of competing investigations into the allegations. Now remember, this is an allegation which occurred in the senior minister's office, metres from the prime minister's office in parliament. A serious allegation. And we are waiting to see if criminal charges will be laid in the next uh, week or so. Serious allegations. Couldn't be any more serious. Couldn't be any more serious. So how do you neutralise it? I mean, as far as the Afghan situation is concerned, You close down the embassy. So how do you neutralise this unpleasant allegation? How do you go about it? It's very simple. As I said before, competing investigations, and these investigations are carried out by heads of departments. You like that? You think, oh, it's a senior bureaucrat who's going to do the investigation. Obviously, they're going to do a good investigation. We're going to learn the truth, aren't we? Now, an unpleasant truth. Heads of departments are political appointments. They're not bureaucrats who've risen through the ranks after years of working in that particular department, providing fearless advice, fearless advice to the government of the day and the ministers of the day. No, they're hacks. Political appointments. 
They are political appointments. They are political hacks. So what you do is you get a political hack from your political party to conduct the investigation. And at the end of the investigation, which you string out as long as possible, hoping that people will forget because they're worried about COVID-19 or they're worried about, you know, a Chinese invasion or they're worried about, you know, this or that, you know. You hope they'll forget, and if they don't forget, when the investigation is completed, you're told, not enough evidence. Not enough evidence. Obviously the Prime Minister didn't know. Obviously Mr Dutton, the head of the Federal Police at that particular point in time, didn't know. Nobody told them. And that's the way it works. You don't tell a minister an unpleasant situation until it blows up in the media and the minister can say, oh, I knew nothing about it. I'm going to appoint my mate to hear the investigations and I'll get five or six of them just to get people, you know, to think I'm doing something. And when the investigations report six months, 12 months down the track, nobody has remembered what's happened because of the other things that have happened and hey, presto, we'll be exonerated. Well, I must hand it to the Morrison-led coalition government they're experts at it, but I don't buy it, you don't buy it, and hopefully an increasing number of Australians don't buy, don't buy the, the half-truths, the big sleazy, sleazy investigations you know, come up with. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Here we go. Marbo Day. Marbo Day will be occurring on the 3rd of uh, June. A lot of people tend to denigrate Marbo Day these days. But Marbo Day had a significant impact 29 years ago when the 3rd of June 1992. The High Court of Australia recognised that Indigenous Australians, First Nations people, had rights to land in law because of their prior occupation of this land. And what we've seen for the last 29 years is excessive legislation being passed by Federal Parliament, which has tried to water down that historical precedent. Now Marbo Day is celebrated with a public holiday in the Torres Strait because this was a Torres Strait initiative. Eddie Marbo and two other plaintiffs went through the courts for a decade to highlight this situation. It's an interesting story which I'll talk about more next week. The program, this program will be aired the day before Marbo Day. But I encourage you to go out on the media Go onto the World Wide Web, search what Marbo Day is all about because it continues to have significant ramifications in this country because it's all about land, sovereignty, people's sovereign rights. That's what it's about. It's about how this country was created and how justice can be served. And Reconciliation Week, which is a fascinating week, is, is booked in by two days. National Sorry Day which is the day that acknowledges that Indigenous, that First Nations people in this country had their children taken away, not because of their uh, inadequacies, but to a significant degree because of government policy, which was about creating an assimilation policy, which meant that you could smooth the pillow of a dying race. They're my, not my words, they're exact words. And it's booked in by Marbo Day, the 3rd of June, which is the day after over 204 years of colonisation that the some 
an Australian court said, these people exist, Terranalius is a fiction that we need to do something about it. So if I encourage you to celebrate Marvo Day in your way. Obviously, people celebrate in different ways, but I think it's important that we celebrate days that are important to us. And I'm really, really keen to put that to people. It's all very well protesting against Australia Day. But what we need to be doing is we need to be looking at days which are significant in the democratisation of this country. Days that are significant in ensuring that justice occurs. And I don't celebrate Australia Day. And I don't celebrate the Queen's birthday. And I don't celebrate Anzac Day. These are the three significant days in the Australian lexicon of celebrations. I celebrate the 20th of January, which was the day that Tanaminawe and Mōbōhina were hung for resisting white colonisation in Melbourne in 1842. This is a day which I think should be celebrated across the country as national Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Resistance Day. These men were not killed, dismembered and burnt in the night by squatters and pastoralists. These men were tried in a European court. They were hung for resisting white colonisation. I celebrate that day. I celebrate the 3rd of June because that is a day for the first time in this country's history it was acknowledged that the fiction that this land was colonised on terra nullis that it belonged to no one was a lie. I celebrate the 3rd of December because that was the day that armed miners resisted the colonial authorities in this country on the 3rd of December 1854. And I also celebrate, and I could be wrong here, it's on the 27th or 29th of October, the day when Peter Norman raised his fist in Mexico, sorry, when Peter Norman stood with Smith and Carlos as they raised their fist in 1968. So these are the days that I celebrate. And I, I'm not, no, you pick the days you want to celebrate, but we don't have to celebrate what they think is important. We celebrate what I think, what we think is important, and what I think is important is the days that I celebrate. Public housing. Now, I know I sound like a broken record about public housing, but there is no greater failure in this country than the campaign and the legislation that's been passed in various states to privatise what's left of the public housing sector. Now, housing is fundamental to human existence. I mean, we don't have big fur coats. We don't have, you know, we don't have fur coats over us to keep us warm in winter. Mm? And we don't have umbrellas coming out of our heads to keep us dry when it rains. So... Housing, whether it's a cave or a hole in the ground or a bark shelter or a multi-billion dollar mansion, is fundamental 
to human existence. Fundamental. It's like food, water, housing. Simple. Food, water, housing, social interaction, I think are the four fundamental you know, things that you need for life. Fundamental. I keep saying this. I know it's, it's like a broken record. I know, I know. But I keep saying we live in the richest country on planet Earth. Richest country. We've squandered, squandered opportunity after opportunity allowing corporations to dominate economic activity, especially this country's natural resources. Okay? But now we have a a program followed by both political parties which sees private organisations, some for profit and some not for profit, dominating, providing housing for people who can't afford to enter the private marketplace. Extraordinary. Just extraordinarily inefficient way of providing housing. This is one of the few countries in the world where you can receive a tax deduction for owning more than one home. But if you're sleeping rough, well, we don't really want to know you, do we? When we go past you trying to beg, maybe we'll throw in a coin, but obviously... You know, it's not our problem. As I said last week, protesting on the steps of Parliament House in the public interest, everybody's business, public housing, everybody's business uh, vigil, which you do every week. Homeless man, 30 metres away, sleeping on the footpath outside the Windsor, Windsor, you know, Parliament House in in, uh, Spring Street in Melbourne in Victoria. Extraordinary. We also have a taxation system, which is very interesting, where if you have the bank on your side because nobody can afford to buy a home except maybe 0.5% of the population buy it outright if you have the bank on your side even if it's the bank of mum and dad if you have the bank on your side you have to pay stamp duty for the privilege of buying a home now stamp duty is quite significant you can pay up to $150,000 stamp duty $20,000 and you can't buy that home unless, or that unit, or that one-bedroom slum, unless you pay that stamp duty. And the Victorian State Government, which I'm familiar with, raises $6 billion in revenue every year, which it then allocates to different areas, all right? Different areas. Now, you would think that a tax, which is levied on housing, on purchasing a housing, would be used to provide public housing. As I keep saying in this program, if you want competition in a capitalist society, you need a strong public sector and you need a strong... Pr- and to compete with a, a, a strong private sector. Now, when you privatise public housing, there is no competition in the marketplace. So housing prices increase, rents increase. And it doesn't matter how much assistance the federal government gives in terms of rent assistance, that goes in increased rents because it just pushes up the prices of the loan to the market. Now, if stamp duty revenue is quarantined for public housing, let's say a rapid spot purchasing program, you could house 100,000 Victorians every year in public housing. Public housing means that you only pay 25% of your income. So if you're on a Unemployment benefits, 20% of that, 20%. 
not 40, 50, 60% in the private sector have over river over your head, 20%. That's right, 20%. It also provides security, not in terms of just having a roof over your head, but if you've got children or yourself, in terms of being in the same environment. They can go to the same school, the same clubs, the same sporting clubs, and the list goes on and on. You can create a community, decreases crime, decreases alienation, decreases mental health issues. I mean, fancy that. One of the richest countries in the world with one of the highest mental health issues in the world. Doesn't make sense, does it? Hmm? Maybe all this insecurity has contributes to it. Maybe it's not a personal failure on your part. Maybe you're a victim of the system. So public housing is essential. But no, nobody's interested in increasing the public housing sector. Here in Victoria, when we did this 10 days protest on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House just before the state election, you know, and stood against the housing, I stood personally against the housing minister. I mean, we squeezed a promise out of the Victorian state Labor government to build a 1,000 public housing units for the next four years. How many have they built? None. N-O-N-E, none. So if you want to decrease rents, you want to decrease housing prices at the lower end of the market, you want to increase social security, you want to increase economic activity, and you do that because people only pay 25% of their income and the rest they can actually use to buy things, goods and services, then you should be seriously thinking of becoming involved in the public housing, everybody's business campaign. And if there isn't an organisation like that in your state, in your territory, it's time you form one. Because ultimately, we are the people we've been waiting for. You can't rely on your political representatives. You can't rely on the corporate-owned media or the government guild at ABC. You can't rely on your religious leaders. The only people you can rely on is yourself. We are the people we've been waiting for. And if you are interested, I encourage you to join public interest before corporate interest. We need another 97 members before we can apply for registration as a federal political party. Go to pipsy.net, download the application form. Can't get the application form? No printer? You can always leave a message on 0439. 395-489. Websites, anarchistmedia.org. Anarchistmedia.org. You can write to us. Yes, I do answer letters to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Facebook pages, Toscano for the Public, Joseph Toscano. Public Housing, Everybody's Business, Defending Extend Public Housing. YouTube channel, Public Interests, Everybody's Business. And the list goes, Instagram, it goes on and on and on. But the tragedy is, the more of this social media garbage I'm involved in, the less interest. Isn't that fascinating? Because we all think that all we have to do is look at something on a screen and somehow the world will change. The people of Myanmar have proven to you that the only way forward is to get out in the streets irrespective of the personal price you need to pay. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station via the Community Radio Network. Listen in next week to the Anarchist World this week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of 
death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.